I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. As 2011 comes to a close, it's a great time to look back at the songs that define the year. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. Greg and I have made our annual end-of-the-year mixtapes, and we'll look back at the biggest music news stories of 2011. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions. And now it's time for some music news. Have my love. It fits you like a glove. Joy my dream, tell me yes. Bail out should there be a mess. The pieces you don't need are mine. Take my time. I'll show you cloud night. Greg, as we put another year in the history books, I think it's really time to look at the fact that 2011 is going to go down 20, 30, 50 years from now as maybe the key year when everything changed in the world of media. The way we consume our movies, our books, and most of all, our music. Record-breaking album sales, label consolidation, streaming services, and the cloud. We're going to turn now to New York Times reporter Ben Cesario, who covers the music industry and digital technology, for a little help in summing up the music news of 2011. Ben, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thanks very much, Jim. If you had to say, what is the single biggest story? Because Greg and I have our thoughts, but what do you think the single biggest story in, in technology of the music business in 2011 was? Well, the easy answer is Spotify, but that's partly just because of the hype around it has kind of made it the biggest story. I think time will will ultimately tell. But I think in the bigger picture, Spotify represents you know, the change to streaming as possibly the next big trend in digital music. Now, with Spotify, we're talking about the streaming service that had great success in Europe over the last few years finally launched in the U.S. just this past summer after clearing all sorts of licensing hurdles. Now a number of artists and record companies are saying, wait a minute, who's uh, actually getting paid on this deal? You know, the feeling is growing that artists really aren't going to make a lot of money off of Spotify. What's your take on it? Having not seen the actual royalty statements, I can't say, you know, for sure, but it's, you know, it's pretty well known about the way that Spotify pays people. It pays fractions of a cent every time a song is, is played. Recently, they announced that they have made a total of $150 million in royalty payments, which is a good amount. But, you know, that's nothing compared to what you know, iTunes pays or even what radio pays, pays in a year. So it's small. It's, it's growing fast, but I mean, it's still tiny. I, you know, there, there is a tremendous amount of worry about this because, Ten years ago or so, you know, we sort of came down in order of magnitude in the royalties that are paid. It went from the LP system, you know, where an artist was basically paid, you know, around a buck per album, to the MP3 single song model where the artist is paid 
I've seen various estimates, but you know, ten, fifteen cents or so is what goes into the artist's pocket for most bands on big labels. And you know, as you know, people stopped buying the album and started buying the MP3. And now we're going even lower than that, where you play the song once and 0.3 cents goes into somebody's pocket. And there's, there's also a lot of concern about, you know, exactly what happens to that money after Spotify pays the label. I think the other issue with Spotify, Ben, is that we have a service here that artists are saying is taking away from those iTunes downloads, which pay more per listen than the Spotify stream does. Do you think there's any merit to that argument? I mean, it's still early. I think the data is kind of inconclusive. I mean, what what I've seen hasn't really persuaded me one side or the other. It's obviously plausible, but this is where I, I just feel that it doesn't make sense to fear technology and to to worry about whether people will be attracted to a new kind of technology or not. You know, I mean, the, the marketplace kind of makes up its mind about how it likes to do these things. And eight years ago when iTunes launched, it, it had a you know, tremendous effect on consumer behavior. So did it take away from album sales? Yes, absolutely. In that case, did it hurt artists? Depends on how you look at it. I mean, as I said before, the amount of royalties kind of going into the pool has come down a bit, but not all artists are starving. got artists like Coldplay and Tom Waits who are obviously not starving. They said, you know, we don't want to have anything to do with Spotify. And with some controversy, their their fans are saying, wait a minute, you're depriving us of this outlet that we like to use for the music. Is this going to be one of those deals where where the bigger artists don't need Spotify to expose their music, so they're going to stay off it? Maybe. I mean, that's basically what happened with iTunes, um, where people kept their music off of it. I mean, right now, Bob Dylan is not on Spotify. I'm pretty sure Metallica is not. You know, because I think if if you're at that level, then, you know, a lot of the usual kind of rules of the market don't apply to you as much. But I think there's very few artists who are really going to be able to do that. I think that whether it's Spotify or whether it's somebody else that sort of wins this battle of what becomes the default streaming service, eventually artists are are sort of going to have to deal with it and, and going to have to figure out how they're going to license their music to it, because if that's where people are going to listen to their music, you want to be there. Ben, let's step back one second. Uh, the other huge story, Spotify is a streaming service. The other huge story of 2011 was the advent of the cloud. But I want the macro picture, if you can give it to us. I mean, from where I'm sitting, you know, nothing since the introduction of the phonograph in the 1880s or 1890s has been a, such a radical potential development in that for more than a century, we have been used to acquiring, possessing music, having a physical thing in our hands. Both streaming and the cloud make it so that we really don't have to have anything anymore. 
I agree. That's a huge issue just in sort of culture and technology in general. And honestly, I, I don't know, you know how, I, how I feel about it, and I don't know where it's going to go even a year from now. I mean, on the one hand, I, I agree with you completely that it does make the idea of downloading an album for 10 bucks seem kind of pointless, or you know, in, in the same way that iTunes kind of made buying a CD kind of pointless for a lot of people. But you know, in the last 10 years, we've also seen an uptick in like vinyl sales. Which is all about you know possessing and owning and the tactile side of music as opposed to its reduction into ones and zeros. So I think that you know Spotify and all the other all the other services too, um, Mog and RDO and Rhapsody. I think they're pretty amazing about just what they're able to spit out at you, and just the idea that the way we listen to music now, or at least this model, is basically a search engine. I think that's also kind of one of the downsides of it because people don't always like just being presented with a search engine. You know, they they want they want to flip through the racks. They want to see something colorful. Apple's been pretty good at that with with iTunes where it's actually kind of a neat place to go and look and just poke around and spend some time. Whereas I feel that most of the streaming services, you know, they're efficient and they're kind of this portal into absolute vast databases of music, but it's not really that fun for me. It doesn't feel that special. With all these services cropping up, and we've, you know, we've seen Amazon, Google, Spotify, Mog, Rhapsody, is it getting to the point where the legitimate digital marketplace is going to eclipse the, the rogue marketplace? It's not even close to that stage now, but I, I do think that that is one of the potential effects, you know, really positive potential effects of what's going on, just because it, it really is easier to go to Spotify and type in the name of a song than to go to, you know, the Pirate Bay or Torrent or whatever. If they're able to reel in the hundreds of millions of people out there who want to listen to music and just, you know, don't give a damn about spending money, you know, that's a huge, huge audience. And that's something that could tip the scale uh, in terms of what kind of royalties these services pay. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and we are talking with New York Times reporter Ben Cesario about the big shifts in the music industry's technology and business models. We also want to remind our listeners to sound off on this topic at 888-859-1800. So, Ben, we've got iTunes, Amazon, and Google all fighting to dominate the cloud. Who's going to win this war? I really, I'm not smart enough to predict, and I, you know, I, I don't think I want to throw my lot in with, with <laughs> any of them. But to me, one of the most interesting things about this is that it's not simply a matter of who builds the best mousetrap. It's a fact of, you know, who connects the most people onto that mousetrap and sort of what's the platform on which it's going to sit and draw in the most people and then draw in the most ads related to that. Because of things like, like Facebook and I guess Amazon to an extent, all of media and, and a lot of advertising is sort of being agglomerated together into these platforms. And we've only kind of begun, I think, to, to see what that's really going to be like. So, you know, Facebook has a lot of hype. And it's definitely a good service. It also has the biggest mob behind it. So if anything is an advantage, I think that's it. Seven, eight years ago, iTunes starts up. 
the balance of power in music really shifted a lot toward Silicon Valley, you know, because suddenly there was this company that had absolutely nothing to do with the music business that really dictated where it was going and how the economics were going to work, you know, for years to come. And I think that there is the potential for that to happen again, where it's not the labels, it's maybe not even the managers and the artists who are going to have the ability to move things into the next phase. It might be Facebook and it might be Google and it might be Apple again, who think that if music is a bargaining chip worth X amount in drawing you know, their audience together, that might be what happens to music. It's, it's a little scary and it's a little sad, I think. <laughs> um, but you, know, you don't know the way it's going to turn out. And I mean, there, I think there are a lot of people out there who would probably be much happier with the folks at Facebook dealing with music than the the people who run the record companies. Well, I, w- I was thinking about it when you said label and record company. I mean, are, are there, they even still in business, any of those guys? <laughs> we, so we fewer saw, and fewer of them all the time. I mean, what were once uh, 11, not all that long ago, are now down to three major label global companies. Are we going to see any time soon? None? I don't think so. Their business has been attenuated little by little, you know, year by year. But they haven't gone away, and I think that's because it's become a business of copyright ownership. The more they shed the distribution of physical goods side of things and the more it becomes you know, the management of copyright and licensing, that's where the business is. And that's the most important thing in media now is you know, who owns the rights to shuffle those digits around. Well, it's interesting because what we have now is a scenario where it seems like we're trading one set of monolithic corporations for another in terms of uh, what makes the music world go round. Mm-hmm. You know, we think, okay, we're in the 21st century now. You know, the old business is dying. And yet, you look at the most successful artists on these ser- on these new services that are cropping up, whether it's iCloud or iTunes or Amazon or, or Spotify... It's the same set of names from the same corporate uh, big labels. You know, Beyonce and Lady Gaga and Rihanna right. and Coldplay are still the biggest sellers on, on, on these digital services. I guess the utopian wish was that these new platforms would be an outlet for all of this music that was bubbling underneath uh, the big corporate umbrella and, and provide an outlet for the little guy and gal. Do you see that becoming a reality, or, or as I said, are we just trading one set of corporations for another? Well, I don't think that you know, the two ideas are mutually exclusive about the little guys getting a chance to bubble up and the big guys still being on top. I think that if people got things wrong when they guessed a decade ago that the Beyonce's and Coldplay's of the world were going to you know, tumble into the sea and that we would all be listening to Jill Sabule now, you know, I think if that was the idea, then that, then that was clearly wrong. But I think that there's no question that the independent artists of the world today have all kinds of outlets to get their music out. And 
to get their audience together. But the difference, I think, though, is that in order for there to be, you know, the big mainstream culture, which is really essential, because, I mean, I think it's important for people to have something in common. In order for there to be Beyonce and Coldplay and U2 and everything, you know, somebody's got to throw a lot of money behind that. And... There's just no other way around that. And so I, you know, I think that the Internet is capable of supporting both models. I, I don't think either of them are going to go away. Ben, is it significant that the major labels have been agreeable these days, or more so than they were in the past, to, to licensing deals with the streaming services? There are two schools of thought about that. One is that they're finally getting it and that you know, it's, it's been 10 or whatever years now and you know, they're, they're finally seeing the light. The other is just that they're so beaten down that they're willing to make a deal with anybody. <laughs> and there is a real history of basically licensing music to a service that, you know, they don't care whether it succeeds or not as long as they write the check up front. And, and that's been, you know, that's brought lots of revenues in over the years, especially kind of in the years, the early 2000s, um, you know, when there were, there were tons of music services starting up and there was a lot more venture capital money behind it. And there was sort of the joke that like, you know, it was a check written from venture capitalists to record labels. And, you know, it was, it was just a sink or swim situation, you know, for the actual services doing the work. So I'm not really that willing to, to put money on the idea that, the major labels have it figured out. I, I think that they've done a lot of things to indicate that they have not figured it out. Now, that said, they're not all idiots. There's a lot of smart people in there. And sometimes the smart people are fighting against the institutional inertia within it. You know, I mean, it, maybe it's, you know, the fat cat at the top who doesn't want to move forward while the, you know, eight digital people that have gone through the company in the last five years are the ones pushing for it. So I don't know. I tend to lean a little bit more to the idea that if somebody comes to them bearing a check, they're at the point where they'll take the check. Ben Cesari of the New York Times, thanks so much for being our guest on Sound Opinions. Thanks, guys, very much for having me. It's a real honor. We're going to take a quick break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, and then it's time to sit back and take in some of the best songs of the year as we unveil our mixtapes for 2011.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And that is a song from my 2011 mixtape by a Chicago garage rock band called The Mannequin Men. The tune's called Wake Up Dead. Greg, for those who haven't joined us for this exercise before, what is a mixtape as we define it? Well, Jim, the way I define it, at least, it's a collection of favorite songs that you organize in a way that tells some kind of a story. In other words, the songs are important, but also the way the songs are sequenced is important. So you're creating this kind of emotional uh, reaction, hopefully, in the listener. At least that's the way I look at it. I know you have a different take on it. Well, I don't like to cede you much ground, Mr. Cott. But in this endeavor, I have to say, you are the king of the mixtapes. You really are. You spend hours and hours and hours doing this. Me, I'm much more immediate about it. You know, when I play DJ at a party, and that's really what we're doing here for Mm -hmm. the listeners, right? I'm going with what I'm feeling at that exact moment. Not the sequence of songs I put together last night or last week. So I get bored with these things really quickly. What I tried to do, though, is is give listeners some songs that either we haven't played or we haven't talked about on the show, and they deserve to be heard, and I like them a lot. The sequence is less important to me, the story, than it is to you. However, I do notice that I had a, quite a few songs on my mixtape this year that are sort of about being enervated, being sapped of energy. Ironically, though, as with Wake Up Dead by the Mannequin Men, these are all kind of up songs. So you have that clash, that dichotomy between very spirited tunes and kind of down uh, lyrics or or lyrics about being stuck in the mud. And let's face it, America kind of is right now. Mm -hmm. Now, we can't play our entire 72-odd minute mixtape or mix CD because there is no tape anymore on the show but we're going we're gonna to play a, a chunk of it explain what we're doing and people can go online to soundopinions.org to get the whole mixtape people can also go online to write me to tell me I'm crazy about this first choice but we discussed with no less an authority than Dr. Oliver Sacks, mm. the Awakenings guru right, what an earworm is a song that you, you, you can't decide whether you love it or hate it but it has burrowed its way into your brain and it stays there and the mere thought of the title brings it back and is playing in your head. This can be a good thing. This can be a bad thing. That's what the case is with this first song by Bruno Mars, the Lazy Song. I know Bruno Mars' debut album came out in 2010, but this single was officially released this year. And I think it's the best song about slacking since Todd Rundgren's I Don't Want to Work, I Just Want to Bang on My Drum All Day. (laughs) It has a bit of that Bobby Farron kind of reggae Caribbean lilt that is just like the worst thing in the universe. But you just got to love a song that says, Today, I don't feel like doing anything. I just want to lay in my bed. <laughs> there have been many days, especially as, as the darkness of winter has come over us, where I have felt that way. So Bruno Mars kicks off my mixtape, followed by a, a much more serious piece of art. One Sunday Morning, Song for Jane Smiley's Boyfriend by Wilco. We talked about this some when we reviewed Wilco's latest album. It is a true extraordinary song. It was only after about the 113th listen that I bothered to look up who is Jane Smiley. Do you know? Uh, She's an author. She's a novelist. She has a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist and a great one. And I found an article on Media Bistro where she said they asked her, why is Wilco writing a song about you, right? <laughs> and she said, apparently, my partner was talking to Jeff Tweedy, the band leader, about religion. And uh, and that's where it all came from. What a, what a weird thing to write a song about. This is a beautiful song. And again, it's kind of about floating through life. That's how I hear it. So here are my first two songs of the 2011 mixtape from Bruno Mars and Wilco on Sound Opinions. Today I don't feel like doing anything.
forgiven Mars, The Lazy Song, written by Kanon, a guest on Sound Opinions a while back, and uh, Wilco, One Sunday Morning, song for Jane Smiley's boyfriend. I think the best Sunday song in rock and roll since uh, The Velvet Underground, Sunday Morning, okay? <laughs> Two more songs from a little bit further down in my mixtape. The first one is also about being enervated, literally, by disease. I've got mono <laughs> from The Smoking Popes, one of the great pop punk bands of the last two decades. A Chicago group here that stormed out of the suburbs in the 90s had their run broke up and then just reunited a couple of years ago and I think hadn't lost a step. This is only a test. Their 2011 album is every bit as good as anything they did the first time around and singing about being stuck with mono and I can't come to Metro and dance with you tonight. I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, Chicago Club. I can't get out of bed. Uh, it's just, I don't know, it struck me as a great thing to write a song about. Then I got a song, Greg, that kind of kicks things into a higher gear from the Go Team, a collective out of the UK, a wonderful dance pop band. They put out an album this year called Rolling Blackouts that I just loved. Their debut was in 2004, and they were much loved by the hipster indie underground at the time, and then people kind of got bored with them. But I think they've just gotten better and better. And this Rolling Blackouts album, I absolutely love. The way they mix kind of like playground rhymes and hip-hop and dance and a bit of Sonic Youth searing noise guitar, it's a wonderful mix that I never get tired of. All the songs are like barely over two minutes and they're just explosions of energy this one more than any of the others it's called tornado t-o-r-n-a-d-o with the periods there on sound opinions i wake up after 10 hours and i'm still tired i lay down and go right back to sleep
We just heard from the Go Team Tornado, and before then, the Smoking Popes, I've Got Mono, on my 2011 mixtape. To listen to our complete mixtapes or share your favorite songs of the year, go to soundopinions.org. And to make a comment on the air, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with Greg Strax. Make me Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and we are running through our annual mixtapes, uh, this time for 2011. That is the song End of Time by Lindsey Buckingham that uh, not only ends my mixtape this year, Jim, but also gives my mixtape its name, End of Time. To explain, there's two sides to my mixtape this year. Side one is devoted to more upbeat, celebratory material. Side two, as you can tell by the nature of that song, is a little bit more down. There's a lot of songs about mortality that sort of stuck out to me and, and sort of made, made sense as a group. So side one and side two. When we're talking about making these mixtapes, I usually look at about 70, 75 tracks that I'm playing with. And then I'm thinking, what 15, 18 together are going to make sense? So obviously I'm leaving out a lot of great songs that I love, but I think as groups, these songs kind of work together. So what I was going for, and I'm going to play selections from the first side of my mixtape, is sort of a sense of of a life in one 15-song sequence. You know, you start out kind of young and innocent and up, 
and and thinking the world is full of possibility. By the midway point, you kind of realize, you know, reality is telling me something different here. It's not quite so innocent, not quite so celebratory. It's a lot more complicated than I realized. That loss of innocence, I think, has created some of the best pop music of the last 30, 40 years. And then at the end, as, as you grow a little older and start looking at your own mortality, you realize this thing is pretty finite. How am I going to spend the, my last days? A lot, of, a lot of songs written this year about not only contemplating the end of life, but what's going to happen after that. So I, I, I don't know why that was in the air, but there were a number of songs that made sense. And End of Time, the Lindsey Buckingham song, is how I chose to end the mixtape. But again, I'm going to go to the front end of my mixtape, and we're going to open up with a song from an album that I think this year was kind of overlooked a little bit. The Beastie Boys came back yeah. with a pretty good record. Great it record. probably didn't end up on a lot of year-end lists, but I end up going back to a number of songs on this record as some of my favorites of the year. I can't think of a better group to express the, the idea that there's still possibility in life, that there's still something to live for, there's still something to get up and dance about. And they did it again with, with their new record. So the track I'm opening my mixtape with is called OK. Now, a few songs later, I start to get into the more complicated stuff in terms of just the innocence is, is wearing away. Sons and Daughters, a band we've talked about a number of times on this show, great Scottish group with a song called Rose Red, I think expresses some of that sense of relationships can tend to be a little bit weird, and I'm getting weirded out by the one I'm in right now. A group called Cave out of Chicago is next with a song called W.U.J., and that to me is the way of expressing this emotion of just hurtling forward. Even though you're dealt with a lot of blows in life, you're still young, you're still energetic, you're still thinking that life is going to work out just fine. And then the Smith Westerns, I think a, a young group out of Chicago, expressed it very well on their new album that when things are shattered for the first time, you're never the same again. When you lose that sense of, I've met this perfect girl and we're going to spend the rest of our life together and it doesn't work out that way, that first sense of that things don't work out the way we plan is really just a resonant moment in your life. And I think they captured it incredibly well on a song called Weekend. So first up is OK from the Beastie Boys, followed by Rose Red from Sons and Daughters, then WUJ by Cave, and finally the Smith Westerns with Weekend on Sound Opinions. You just can't stop when word comes to mind It's crock, what you say Is like lost or plus It seems you're trying to put a fill of foster i 
You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott, and you're listening to part of my 2011 mixtape.
That's a little taste of what's on side one of my 2011 mixtape. You heard OK from the Beastie Boys, followed by Rose Red from Sons and Daughters, then Caves, W.U.J., and finally, the Smith Westerns with Weekend. Listeners can hear both of our mixtapes in their entirety at soundopinions.org. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, we're going to review some recent big album releases, including new ones from The Roots, The Black Keys, and Common. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out, especially heartfelt at this holiday season and year-end time. Sound Opinions is brought to you by the Ace production team of Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, and Annie Minoff, with executive production, no joke this week, from radio guru Tori Melatia. Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, uh, this is Greg Hurd calling from Toronto. I was thinking that it would be an amazing show if you did uh, albums that didn't quite make it, great records that didn't make it. Billionaires by James is a great example of an amazing pop record that just never got anywhere due to political machinations of Polygram America. One that I would really like to talk about is Mark Hollis's solo record from Talk Talk. Absolutely amazing album. A guy's been completely underrated his whole life. Uh, a little too sensitive, probably, but uh, really beautiful album uh, that just went nowhere. And uh, love your show. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye bye. Get out, guess. This is Bill from Chicago. I love the show, guys. But over the years, I've noticed a whole lot of words and phrases that tend to be overused on the show. And it's really starting to bug me. You know, you use a phrase too much, and instead of being convenient shorthand, it just becomes cliched and lazy. And that's what's been happening. So just a short sampling of some of the phrases I'd like to see banned from Sound Opinions forever. Absolutely. Very credible. Bedroom record. Dark Night of the Soul. Brian Eno. Thanks, guys. My name's Dave. I'm an Irishman living in Manchester, England. I was listening to the show a couple of weeks back, uh, listening to that lady spoke about concerts being too loud and how uh, it can damage your ears. 
agree with her. I think a lot of rock concerts are just way too loud these days. The way I get around it is um, some really good quality earplugs you can get. Especially the ones that kind of look like a little Christmas tree. So there's little air chambers separated from each other. They actually really improve the sound. And I've gone to some, you know, really loud concerts like Mogwai, um, and you will know it's by the Trail of Dead. Um, and I've actually enjoyed the concert way more because I could hear the, the sound clear. So anybody who's having trouble with their hearing should check that out. Thanks very much. Take care. much appreciate it. Thank you. Happy holidays. messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.